This week's Coming of Age episode is sponsored by OLTCA's sector champion, Plan A, powered by StaffStat. It's through their ongoing partnership and generous support that we are able to host our thought-provoking podcast. Stay tuned to the end of today's episode to learn more about Plan A, powered by StaffStat. I can certainly remember in my internal medicine practice years ago how rapidly seniors can deteriorate when they're in acute care hospital environment. The lack of, of mobilization, the lack of socialization can be uh, a real problem. This is Coming of Age, meeting the needs of our aging population, a podcast about how we can better support our seniors. I'm your host, Donna Duncan. I am also the CEO of the Ontario Long-Term Care Association, which represents about 70% of long-term care homes in Ontario, Canada. In today's episode, I'm delighted to share an inspiring conversation with CEOs Cameron Love of the Ottawa Hospital and Michael Guerrero of Extendicare, one of the largest providers of seniors care in Canada and an organization committed to supporting individuals in living well. Together, their organizations run a transitional care program in one of Extendicare's long-term care homes in Ottawa. This innovative, specialized partnership program model is designed for individuals who are in hospital, no longer require acute care, but who also have high care needs and are usually waiting for admission to an appropriate long-term care home. There is great interest in this new model of transitional care and much to learn from these two visionary leaders about how the partnership developed and what exactly is in that special sauce that makes this partnership work. So welcome to our Coming of Age podcast today. We're uh, really excited to be able to speak about how we need to work together to transform the system to meet the needs of our aging population, how it will actually take all of us working together up across different parts of the system to create an integrated continuum of living and care. And we want to talk about health partnerships, such as the partnership between Extended Care and the Ottawa Hospital are demonstrating exciting innovation. I'm so delighted to welcome today Cameron Love of the Ottawa Hospital and Michael Guerrero of Extended Care. Welcome, gentlemen. We're really excited about today's discussion. I'm wondering if you could talk us through what the starting point was for this very innovative partnership. So for our listeners, we hear a lot, certainly in, in Ontario and Canada, about people who are in hospital spaces, what they call alternate level of care, who don't need hospital acute care anymore, but rather need to transition out of hospital into another level of care, whether it's long-term care for the longer term or back into their home and community and or other programs. Our two guests today have been quite visionary in developing a partnership between hospital and long-term care to support those transitions. If you could speak to how you started and as uh, what was the genesis of the idea and our listeners would be really interested to understand what it took to actually get this partnership off the ground. I think it's a really important question in terms of the context. And I think, you know, when you go, I think part of this is going back even pre-pandemic. 
And so when you look at the Ottawa area uh, and across Ontario, even pre-pandemic, we were starting to see significant growth in population, particularly in the adult population for those that required care post a hospital stay. Uh, we did not have enough capacity within the system. So whether it was long-term care, complex community care, uh, home care, we get patients that finish their acute stay and then they've got long durations before they can get placed. And we have always had a, a bit of a history at TOH, like many other organizations, where we set up transitional care units. Because I think first and foremost, what you really want to do is you want to have mechanisms by which you can provide safe and high quality care, regardless of where the patient is in the, in the system. And so as we worked our way through the pandemic, we had quite a bit of challenge, as we all know, in terms of long-term care homes right in wave two and three that really struggled with, the, with COVID. Uh, and at that time in Ottawa, this is where uh, Michael and our, myself and our teams really started to work closely together in terms of how we, as a system, manage care for patients that have COVID, whether they're in the hospital, whether they're in long-term care. Uh, and that was really the first foray into these discussions. What came next, though, was a real realization that uh, while the government, uh, and it's a personal perspective, uh, has done a very good job of really setting forth a path to truly build capacity for long-term care, and we need capacity. There is no question we need bed capacity in this province. I think this government has realized it. I think they've made a lot of announcements. We've been involved in a number of them to build capacity. But I think the challenge we have is, until that capacity is built, how do you create capacity within a system to transition from now until then? And this is where discussions between Michael and I started around, how do we create environments where we can use existing capacity, improve, uh, improve the care that we're doing collectively together and provide different environments where we can get patients moved to while they wait, whether it's placement to long-term care, home care, or other areas. Uh, and so in the, in the case of West End Villa, we had the opportunity collectively around some potential beds that could be used to create this integrated model of care where our teams are over with Michaels, uh, both medically and clinically, providing these transitional environments, which we're up to almost 100 beds now, that allow patients to have a, a seamless transition going from their acute care environment to whatever their final destination is, which could be long-term care. It could be, as I said, home care, complex community care. And it, the, the real focus around this was trying to create integrated models of care. Uh, I think one of the biggest gaps we have in this system is the risks of transferring patients between environments whether it doesn't matter which the environment is. And the more we can integrate care, uh, both medically and clinically between organizations, uh, the better we're going to have in terms of creating standards, standard quality of care, standard models of care, uh, standards ways of way, how we place and, and support patients through any type of transition. And so that was really the, the context and the foray of how it started. You know, I, I think one of the things that we tend to forget when we think about ALC, when we think about long-term care and, and who's appropriate for a long-term care setting, is that people and their function is heavily influenced by their environment. And I can certainly remember in my internal medicine practice years ago, how rapidly seniors can deteriorate when they're in acute care hospital environment and when they have an acute event. And the lack of, of mobilization, the lack of, of socialization can be uh, a real problem. So we tend to look at, at a patient who's, who's stuck in a hospital as also being stuck with a certain level of, 
of, of function and ability to function independently, when in fact we know that uh, rehabilitation, socialization, you know, more activity and stimulation can lead to a significant improvement in their performance. So we end up with people stuck because the system doesn't have enough capacity in an acute care environment where they're not getting the stimulation, the rehabilitation, the socialization that they need to to recover uh, a lot of function that they lost when they went into the hospital. This helps people to bridge that gap. We get them into a long-term care environment, but still with the supports of an acute care hospital team. So the Ottawa hospital physicians and nurses are still taking care of the now residents in the transitional care unit. And then the long-term care team gets involved with socialization and programming and bringing families more in touch. Uh, and we've seen with, with our program, a good level of improvement where people then graduate to a point where their, their function and their needs uh, makes them you know, perfect candidates for long-term care or even in some cases for, uh, for home care. So I think this is, this is helping to bridge that gap uh, and, uh, you know, and get better, uh, better results for, for, for the resources that we have. Now, I, I do want to emphasize one thing that Cam said, which is, is really important. We do need capacity in the system. This government uh, uh, has put more into long-term care than we've seen any government put into long-term care in decades. Um, and, you know, it's important to realize what resources they're putting into the system. So there's new capital to build new beds. So 30,000 net new beds, 28,000 um, uh, replacement beds for, for aging facilities. But they've also put in funding for a significant increase in caregivers to, to move up to four hours of care per resident day, which is about a 30% increase from where we were pre-pandemic. And then there's also a third bucket where they're funding significant salary increases uh, for PSWs, which you know, has been a meaningful uh, increase in compensation. So that's underway now, but of course it takes years for those investments to result in increased capacity. Donna, you know that more than I do. Um, but uh, you know, in the meantime, we're looking for ways to try to bridge that uh, until the new capacity comes on, on stream. As I look and, and listen to you talk about your model of care and, and <laughs> to your point, a system is about interdependence by definition. You've come together, Cam, you had an idea, you're moving this forward. How much of that was that secret sauce of, of the alignment around vision? And, and then how did you use that to move government? What were the ver barriers that you were able to overcome? Well, pro probably the first thing I would, I'd say, Donna, is that the teams on the ground at both the Ottawa Hospital and Extendicare hit it off right out of the gate. And they made it happen. Cam and I just played a, a supporting role. When we stepped off the curb on this one, 
we didn't know if we'd get government support. We didn't know if it would be successful. Part of it is that you need to venture out and try something and see what you can make happen. Yeah, I think, Donna, I uh, agree everything with what Mike just said. I, I would build on that even further, though. I think um, when you take the two teams, and particularly teams on the ground, people have a genuine willingness and drive to want to help patients and people. And so it's really not, a, it wasn't really a discussion about what are we going to do differently in the hospital versus what are we going to do differently in, in Michael's long-term care uh, center. It's really around realizing that we don't have enough capacity. We have to find a different way of creating that capacity. But any scenario, it can't create models that isn't, that aren't, isn't going to create strong patient services or patient care delivery models. And so that, that quality element was always at the fabric of this. And I think that's what really gelled the two groups off right off the bat. I also think the ministry... It becomes a very compelling discussion when you don't focus on what an organization wants. You focus on what a patient may require in a time when you definitely need change. And so, you know, I think when you bring all of that together around that center point, you get this drive uh, and understanding of this, of a model that can evolve that's going to, one, give you some, some capacity increases or expansion. It's going to keep intact your quality framework, and it's going to create a different model of care that supports patients that are transitioning from one center to another. So much of our debate is is a structural discussion about hospitals versus long-term care versus home and community care versus primary care. And to your point, Cam, that the, the piece that's missing are, are the transition points for the individuals. And as we think about how do we use that existing capacity and think about the, the demographic bump that we're facing with our baby boomers aging and, and just the pressure. So today in, in Ontario, Canada, we have uh, almost 40,000 people on a wait list for care. 3,000 people on those lists are crisis community admissions waiting, waiting to happen. Uh, we're looking at uh, the pressure on our hospitals. Uh, we, we're seeing communities uh, really struggling to, to meet the needs of their aging population. What areas need strengthening or structural change? You know, I think I think the first kind of general structural comment to make is the need for a more integrated kind of planning construct that focuses on populations and their needs. And we've got that more in provinces other than Ontario than in Ontario. I think Ontario has been slower to move to integrated health delivery systems from a governance perspective. The interesting thing about Ottawa is that it is closer to an integrated delivery system than perhaps what you would find in Toronto, as an example. We've been able to take advantage of that. You know, the challenges of having each of the segments of the health system that you talked about being separately funded and separately governed means that it's up to the individual citizen, resident, patient to navigate those, those boundaries. One of the components to this that I think both of us have been fairly passionate about is, you know, is the word integration. You hear a lot of people talk about integration, but the reality is, is what, where it really starts to show benefit and make a lot of sense is when you get teams that are managing a patient population and not an organizationally based 
And so if you've got teams that are going to manage surgical populations or medical populations or maternal newborn or care of the elderly, and you start having hospitals focused on how not only we provide care for that acute episode, but we're also involved in the community in terms of providing support and vice versa. What you start to get is you get a more of a team system-based approach, which I think other provinces have, have, have moved in that direction. I think this province is moving in that direction. I think we've got examples of how that can work. The catch with it is you can't boil the ocean, just say we're going to make a big systemic change and that's what's going to happen. You've got to look for opportunities, much like we've done here, as a starting point that you can build upon. And when you have a model that works, then you can start to, you know, you've got a proven track record, you've got some good quality outcomes, you've got some data that wraps around it, and you can start to build on that. And so this is, this to me is very much a starting point of something that you could see over time that if you built home care into it, the ideal scenario for that family is you've got one integrated care team, one medical record, and we're able to care for the patient, then you've got primary care wrapped in there. And so at the end of the day, the only time they'd actually need to come back to an emergency department is if they have some massive acute episode outside of their regular care that's being provided in any of those environments. How do we facilitate that, recognizing that, that we're still in a, in, in a different type of crisis uh, as we look at the, the increasing pressures on all, all aspects of our healthcare system today? The first is that, you know, we do have a number of hospitals around the province that are building long-term care or have built long-term care and so are looking to integrate that into their operations. I think it's a great model. I think one of the things that is a bit of an impediment to doing more of these types of things in different parts of the province is just bed capacity and the fact that the long-term care sector is oversubscribed in a big way. I think our opportunity to create more of these TCU kind of arrangements uh, will happen as the new facilities start to come online. And I think the fact that the Ottawa example has, has been so successful means there's more of an openness to it within government and there's a kind of a working model that, that other hospitals can look to, you know, in thinking about that. To answer your question that you said at the very beginning, that just, this can absolutely be replicated. And I, I think if I, if I use by way of an example to provide some context in this, let's just say for example purposes, uh, Ottawa needs 2,000 more long-term care beds over the next five years based on pro projections and growth. This government has approved significant capacity and we need those 2,000 beds. But there's a capital side and there's an operating side. On the capital side, Michael's building a number of homes. There's other providers are building a number of homes and we're gonna have 2000 beds in let's say five to seven years. But we gotta find a way to place those patients in a safe, appropriate manner now. Because if we don't, then if you're looking at it from a system perspective, we will have a significant impact on those who require access to surgery because you just won't have the beds. So there's a capital plan that I think as the government has created very strong approval around capacity. We have to have this transition state. But then there's the operating side of the equation, which is the opportunity to create these integrated teams that regardless of where the physical capacity is, you get the benefit around the service delivery model that can evolve over time. And so if you take this team that we have at West End Villa and you put them in a 30 bed retirement home, you're gonna get the same outcome of care. 
it's not part of it is ideally you have private rooms like I, I live in a hundred old year old building we're trying to build a new one the brand new hospital will be far better infrastructure but the teams that provide the care in there can still do a very good job required regardless of physical location but if we start to go back the way it was before where we move away from having integrative models of care with teams together we don't get the same benefit of what we've set up with less than Villa. so we have to find ways now of finding additional capacity in the short term before we can get to the longer term where all the infrastructure is built but replicating that model is very doable and the outcome of care which is the most important thing to keep our eye on continues to improve regardless of physical location well, that's it's so exciting and so inspiring. So you're changing in real time, but it really is about that team-based approach. As we move uh, towards the end of our interview, I'm I'm really interested in uh, the other element of capacity and system capacity, and that's our workforce. You know, both of you are very interested in how do we adapt our ad- academic programming? How do we embed uh, that learning culture into our organizations as we build a new workforce and rebuild the workforce? Would uh, welcome your thoughts on how your new model and also thinking about where you're heading in home care, Mike, uh, could could evolve as we realize that we need to build a workforce and support a workforce in real time, but we also need to look at retention and recruitment today. It takes four years to grow a nurse. It takes a long time to to educate and, and uh, credential a new physician. And we don't have a lot of time. And, and around the world, uh, every country is, is really grappling with a, a real change in culture and dynamic of, of their health human resources workforce. Could you speak about uh, your thoughts on how your collaborative model, the way you're engaging and empowering your staff teams, how this type of approach could help us both retain the staff we have today, uh, attract those who've left to come back, but also provide a, a different type of a platform for building the new the new workforce. You know what, this one is a really challenging one. Again, it's, it's, this, it's this period of time of how we transition until we can recruit more. And if we stick on our ends for a second, um, we know we're having trouble recruiting uh, RNs into the system. Uh, it takes four years to graduate them, but they are a key element uh, to the service provision of what, what we have to do. It's the same thing with, let's say, family physicians or general internists. But I think what we've really tried to move towards is in, the, in an environment where it's going to probably take us two to four years to recruit enough people in to stabilize it's how do you create team-based approaches to support those that are that are still here and still we still have to provide care and growing capacity. So when you look at things like RPNs, RTs, PSWs, nurse practitioners, what's really started to evolve is is this these roles that we can use to support a team-based approach to allow us to keep the same quality of care fabric in place. And while we transition to a point where we can get more RNs hired back into the system. And so, you know, you can't do this in certain areas. If you take critical care with ICU, you know, you need to have RNs in there. Now, we went through a period of time, I think it was wave two, where it was really very difficult. And we had all these additional ICU patients. We went to team-based approaches where you provided, you know, one nurse would care for three patients and you gave them some support. And you can do that as a transition. But when it comes down to the end of the day, you got to get back to a full RN complement with an ICU. But the complement in transitional care beds is different 
And can we use more of a team-based approach where you're going to need less RNs, but you can use nurse practitioners uh, to help supplement a medical coverage model? Can you use PSWs? Can you use other disciplines to help with a team-based approach? And I think what we're really seeing is in areas, whether they're acute or uh, post-acute, the team-based approach works as a transition to get us to an endpoint, uh, and it, it's worked tremendously well. Now, you still have to evaluate outcomes. You still have to monitor quality very closely. But I think the challenge we're going to have is if we don't continue to move in this direction and grow that capacity, the volume is not dropping. So in the absence of volume dropping, we got to find more innovative ways to create these models. Uh, and that's, I think, what most organizations, both community and otherwise, have really started to focus around. But if you do it in an integrated fashion, as opposed to each doing it individually, you get to a different place more quickly. Yeah, I think the thing that I would add to that is that I think all of our care environments now have to become an integral part uh, building capacity. I don't think we can just wait for the colleges to do it or for the teaching hospitals to do it. I think all of the parts of the health system are going to have to contribute to this. Uh, in our case, we've got over 3,000 student positions now uh, throughout our organization on an annual basis a variety of preceptorships, training programs, et cetera, um, supported by the government, supported by college partnerships. So we're really working to increase the capacity of, of PSWs in the system. You know, as well, we're providing uh, financial support and time to our employees who want to upgrade their credentials. So we've got bridging programs now from PSW to RPN, RPN to RN, uh, and supporting our staff progress. The other, the other thing I'd say is that retention is as important. Uh, and in long-term care and home care in particular, a big part of retention is giving people full-time hours, giving people benefits, giving people the assurance that their paycheck is is, uh, is reliable. Uh, and there's been a lot of precarious uh, work in, in both home care and long-term care over time, historically. So uh, we really have to think about very different scheduling approaches and different, different business models to allow more of our staff to be uh, full-time staff. We are really pleasantly surprised at how flexible the unions have been, at least in, in our case, um, we've worked with a number of unions to explore 12 hour shifts in long-term care as a mechanism to increase the proportion of our staff that are full-time and still be able to fill a seven by 24 schedule. I was told a couple of years ago that a 12 hour shift in long-term care was an impossibility. Don't even bother to go there. Uh, and, um, you know, we've got four homes now that are uh, trialing 12-hour shifts with, with the help of uh, one of our unions. And I think that's the type of thing that, you know, will help us with, with retention and, and job satisfaction with our staff. Not everybody wants to work a 12-hour shift, but giving that option to those who do want to do that, I think is, um, you know, just another step to, to being able to accommodate what frontline caregivers are looking for and, and uh, to be able to, to meet them halfway. So just a couple of examples, Donna, 
that uh, that we're pursuing. I think one of the real key things that we've really seen, and it's it's I think you know the pandemic has exacerbated this to some extent, is the need to really be flexible to support staff, whether they want full time hours, part time hours, benefits, pension, whichever. People are in different stages of their life, different stages of their career, and have different balances of what they need between work and and their personal lives. And so, you know, the need to really be flexible to support people through these through this time is really critical. And it's easy to stay in a statement, but to say, you know, we only have part-time positions and we only have full-time positions when that's not where the need is, we've got to create some flexibility around that. And then the, I think the other thing that is really critical is how do we create education support models? Uh, we have many units where you may only have staff that the bulk of staff have one to three years experience. That's very different than having a staff that is, you know, 15 years of experience on those units. And that doesn't matter whether it's long-term care or whether it's, a, you know, an acute general internal medicine unit. The catch is how do we create more robust support and education um, structures with a lot of new people coming into the system? So it's good that we're hiring people. It's good that we're getting a lot of new people in. We're creating these team-based approaches. But with it comes a different process and thought process on how we invest to create support structures uh, to maintain that retention for one and also that quality of care for from the other side. Wow. Dr. Michael Guerrero, uh, CEO of Extended Care, Cameron Love, CEO of the Ottawa Hospital. Really want to thank both of you for joining us today and for sharing your partnership. I, I love your energy, love the alignment, clearly trust, shared values and shared and a shared vision anchored in what promises to be a real culture change on how we support individuals, whether they're the patients or, or residents we have collective and shared responsibility for, but also in how we support our workforce and reimagine uh, a different future in in very short order, uh, just given the uh, demographic pressures that we're facing. Uh, Thank you so much for your time, for sharing. Looking forward to uh, tracking the progress of your partnership, but also the other innovations that you're working to to introduce into your individual organizations, but also uh, as we uh, reimagine how we provide integrated health services uh, to the people of Ontario. So thank you for your time today and uh, best wishes and for much, much success uh, in your endeavors. This is really exciting and quite inspired and extremely hopeful. Thanks, Donna. Thanks, Donna. The importance of teams and team-based care for seniors with increasingly more complex needs has been a recurring theme on our podcast. And the partnership between Extended Care and the Ottawa Hospital brings a model of cross-sectoral partnership based on the needs of those individuals to life. The partnership built through the leadership of Cameron Love and Dr. Michael Guerrero is an example of innovation in care and innovation in the cultural changes we are starting to see across our health and seniors care systems. Together, Cameron and Michael are modeling how leaders can come together to find creative solutions in meeting the needs of our aging population. I hope you found today's discussion as inspiring and hopeful as I did. Thank you for listening. This week's Coming of Age episode is sponsored by OLTCA's sector champion, Plan A, powered by StaffStat. Does your home have a staffing strategy in place? StaffStat automates your shift filling process and intuitively predicts shift needs. Plan A works in tandem with StaffStat, 
offering homes a backup staffing model that supports employees and keeps residents safe and cared for. Learn more at jointheateam.com. Thank you for listening to Coming of Age, Meeting the Needs of Our Aging Population. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, rate our show five stars, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, I'm your host, Donna Duncan. Keep well. Well.